We're turning tonight, if you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, to Jonah chapter 4. We've been on an adventure with Jonah for several messages all together, I think four, and this will be the fifth and last message from the book of Jonah. But Jonah chapter 4, and we'll begin reading there at verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, reading at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Let's stop there and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come to the pages of this book, the book that you have inspired and preserved down through the ages, so that we might hold in our hands a reliable representation of your word. We can open this book and find exactly what you want to say to our hearts. We can read it, and we can know with assurance that you have preserved it for us. We just pray that you'll help us, Lord, as we look into this, the scriptures this evening that we might have you, the power of your spirit to teach it to us, that you would speak to our hearts and draw us close to yourself, that you would show us why you have recorded what you put in this book and why it's there for our benefit. We ask you, Lord, to help us to understand that this word will never be broken. Not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law until all be fulfilled. And so it's with great reverence and even trembling that we open the pages of your word. We know, Lord, that it's a serious matter to come into this place and to be under the sound of the gospel message. It's a serious matter for believers to be taught from the word of God because we're responsible for what we've heard. Help us, Lord, to give it full attention and to take it home and to think on it and to study carefully behind all that we hear preached that we might truly know and possess the possessions that you have for us. We know that you've provided everything that we need for life and godliness. And yet so often we're poverty stricken in our experience because we have not taken up this precious word. We pray you'll strengthen us, help us to hear it aright. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Jonah is not a happy camper at this stage in this story. We've been with Jonah over several experiences that he has passed through. The Lord told him to go speak to Nineveh and to preach a message to Nineveh. And Jonah had the opposite idea. He got on a boat headed the other direction. He wanted to get away from that responsibility that God had given him. He was, he was upset about it. In Jonah chapter 1, we're reading about Jonah and the ship. He got in a ship going away from the, the purpose of God. And that didn't work out too well because the Lord caused the ship to be in a tremendous storm. The Lord brought that storm. And he caused the men of the ship to finally discover that Jonah was the cause of the storm. And over the side, they pitched him. But the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And in chapter 2, we read about Jonah and the fish. Jonah and the ship, and then Jonah and the fish. 
And in the fish, Jonah prayed unto God, a prayer that's an amazing prayer, a prayer that came from a heart that was, was broken and surrendered to the Lord. And he, he finally declared, salvation is of the Lord. And I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving and pay that that I have vowed. Jonah learned a tremendous lesson in the fish. But he didn't learn everything the Lord wanted him to learn because he came out of that fish still with a bad attitude. It's kind of like you and I. The Lord sends us through some tough things to get our attention, and it humbles our heart, and we pray. And we say, Lord, you are right. You are the only Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. And we're going to sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. We're going to have a thankful heart. And we're going to vow, we're going to follow through with those vows that we've made. We've said we would give you our life. We would give you everything that we are in exchange for what you are. We saw the pitiful condition of our own experience, and we turned it over to you. We didn't want it anymore. We wanted you. And the Lord answered that prayer, and he brought Jonah up out of that fish. He brought Jonah back onto land and told him in chapter 3 to go back to Nineveh, to, to go again to Nineveh or to go there, and Jonah did it. He arose and went to Nineveh. He obeyed the voice of the Lord in this matter, but he still had a problem. And that's what we're reading about here in chapter 4. Notice what we read in uh, chapter 3 and verse 4. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah was a Jew, and he had come out of the nation of Israel to travel to this Gentile city. It actually, actually turns out to be several cities that were joined into one big area that was referred to as Nineveh. And this area had a lot of people in it, probably hundreds of thousands, perhaps even 600,000 or more people in this area. And so there was a big area, but it was all a Gentile area controlled by the Assyrian nation that had established these cities. And they were a wicked and cruel people. They were known especially for their cruelty and warfare. And going into a place and not only wiping out the soldiers of the opposing army, but wiping out many of the civilians as well. And taking anyone who, who, who they just pleased to, to do cruel things to and uh, put them to death in horrible ways. And so they were a, they were a very, very, wicked, uh, very wicked and very cruel nation. And their capital was this big area uh, of Nineveh. But Jonah went with a message. And his message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Jonah was actually kind of pleased to give that message, even though he didn't want to do it at first. He, he was kind of pleased to give that message because he wanted to see this cruel enemy of his nation of Israel destroyed. He didn't want to see them continue. He already knew that they were attacking portions of the, the nation of Israel. They were taking lands over that belonged to Israel. And they were very cruel. And so... He didn't mind them being destroyed if that was what God had in mind. But he knew that the Lord was a gracious God. And it says, verse 5 of chapter 3, The people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So they all repented at the message of Jonah. They believed it. And they believed that their city was, their area was destined for destruction if they didn't change what they were doing. And the Bible says they actually repented. It's an amazing thing that a city area of this size would, would, would be so inclined to give itself over to repentance. But they did. And uh, even the king, everyone from the top of the society all the way to the bottom. 
Even the, they even included the animals. They had every beast covered with sackcloth in chapter 3 and verse 8. And, and they cried mightily unto God. Yea, let, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? In verse 10, the last chapter of chapter 3 says, God saw their works. He saw their works. This was not a false, uh, 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 you know, uh, just a show of repentance to try to, to, try to uh, placate the gods. It was an actual repentance. God saw their works. They turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. The grace of God was extended to these people because they turned from their evil way. They did repent, and the Lord repented of the evil that he would do unto them. And Jonah was not happy about that. You'd think that he would be delighted. This message was received and had a great impact on this nation, but he was not happy. Verse 1 of chapter 4 begins with the word but. <laughs> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He begins to argue with the Lord. Have you ever argued with the Lord? I have. It's not a good idea. And Jonah's going to find that out. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And so he starts to argue with God. Verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, now this is quite a prayer here now. This is sort of an awkward sort of prayer because he's arguing with the Lord in a prayer. So here he goes. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. I wanted to see these people really get it. That's what I wanted. If you're going to make me preach this message of destruction, uh, if they don't turn, then I want to see them get it. I don't want them to, to repent. I don't want them to receive your grace and your mercy. And I knew how you are, Lord. I knew how you are. And is implying that God is just winking at, at, at their, their wickedness and their sin. That he's letting them slide by and he's not really going to bring any destruction upon people who do evil. And of course that's not true. That's maligning the character of God himself. And yet Jonah's praying like that because he wanted those people to really get it. Have you ever wanted anybody you know to really get it from the Lord? Have you ever argued with God about that? Or even prayed, felt at least felt that way that it would be great if the Lord had just slapped them down because that's what they need. And I can see they need it and I wish they'd get it. But I see the Lord being kind to them and being merciful to them and letting them continue to breathe when I wouldn't. Have you ever felt that way about another person or even another brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever felt that way? And be arguing with God about what he's doing and about how he's being a little slack. He's not doing what he said he would do, which is take care of these folks who are doing wrong. Jonah was very angry, and it was wrong in several ways. It was wrong because he had so little control of himself. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Jonah was broken down and without walls. He, he also was, was wrong because he had so little reverence for the Lord. Praying like this. What kind of prayer is this? Wasn't this my saying, Lord? You know, what I said, as though my word was significant. 
What I had to say was somehow going to be the important thing. Didn't I tell you, Lord? Didn't I say that it was this way? When I was in my country, Israel was the Lord's, uh, Lord's uh, country, not, not, not uh, Jonah's country. And yet he's saying, uh, Lord, wasn't this my saying when I was in my country? No reverence for the Lord. It reminds me of 2 Samuel chapter 6 where David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. You remember how they were trying to take the, the ark of God back back to Israel after it had been captured and it was being returned and Uzzah was driving the cart and he reached out and tried to steady the ark on the cart and the Lord struck him dead for doing that and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and and in that moment David's attitude was not right he thought that the Lord did something a little extreme there something that shouldn't have been done but the Lord explained it to David, and David understood it uh, pretty quickly, that you, you, don't, you can't personally stabilize the ark of God. That's God's business. You can drive that cart, and you can bring that thing where it needs to go, as that's part of your ministry, but you can't stabilize it. You can't help it. You can't add something from your own strength and your own ability to what God is doing. You can't do that. And that's why Uzzah lost his life over that. But David was displeased, and Jonah is displeased about what God's doing. It shows little reverence for the Lord, but it also shows a very small amount of affection for his fellow men, or if, not, if any at all. He was angry at their repentance, and yet the people he's angry with are people for whom Christ died, people that the Lord has been trying to reach with a message of the gospel, and now they seem to be repentant. He doesn't have any care for them as he's arguing with the Lord. He's arguing about himself and what he said and what he did and justifying himself before the Lord in his actions. I fled unto Tarshish for I knew, I knew you, Lord. I knew you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger and of great kindness. And, and you repent of the evil that you plan to do so many times. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Now, we can look down our nose at Jonah, but how many times have we prayed that same thing? Lord, I don't want to live. I don't want to live. If it's going to be like this, if this is the kind of people I have to deal with, if this is the way it's going to be in the ministry that you've given me, if it's going to be like this, Lord, it's better for me to die than to live. Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah was so upset that the Ninevites repented and were spared. Why? Why was he so upset? He was jealous for the honor of his country, for one thing. He was, he, he was an Israelite, and he knew the promises of God were given to Israel. And it was a special place in God's sight. And he was taking a soil sample of the entire human race when he raised up that little nation of Israel to show his blessings and show his wisdom and to show his power through that nation. They had a great position and he wanted Israel to be honored, but he knew that if Nineveh was, spared, Nineveh was spared, the Assyrians would grow to great power and would eventually, and they did, take those northern ten tribes captive and destroy the country that he loved so much and that he wanted to, to see prosper. But Nineveh's repentance shamed stubborn Israel. Israel was outside of God's purpose and plan, and that's why they were headed for captivity. But Nineveh was repenting. 
And so it kind of shamed Israel and it shamed Jonah that they would repent when Israel wouldn't repent. Romans 10 and verse 2 says, um, the apostle Paul writes about the Jews of his day, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And Jonah had a kind of zeal. He loved the Lord. He wanted to be a spokesman for the Lord. The Lord had called him to preach this message, but he wanted to do it his way. And he wanted to see the outcome to be his own outcome and not, not the Lord's. Jonah was upset. It's possible to be displeased with the Lord under a, a sort of a, a, a false color of concern for his glory. Jonah would say, I'm concerned for the glory of God, and I want to see the enemies of God destroyed. I want to see Israel blessed and the enemies of God destroyed. And it would be, that's how he would present it, I'm sure. But it's possible to be displeased with what the Lord is doing when our idea of how it's supposed to unfold doesn't work out. He was also jealous for his own honor, because if Nineveh was not destroyed, what kind of prophet was he? If he went in there and said, 40 days and y'all will be destroyed, and it didn't happen, then people would say, well, he's just a false prophet. He's not a real prophet of God. But there's no danger of that, because the message that Jonah brought included with it the idea that if you repent, God may be merciful to you, and there was a chance to be delivered. That was part of what he had to bring and part of what he had to preach. But he was just putting all that out of his mind. And that happens when we get out of fellowship with the Lord. When we're out of fellowship with God, you know what takes over? Our own personal imaginations about what's going on. If we're out of fellowship with the Lord, we start to imagine this thing and that thing and the other thing. And, and we begin to fret about it. And we begin to fear about it. Psalm 2 and verse 1 makes it so clear that this is the natural condition of every single one of us. It says, why do the heathen rage, that's that anger, and the people imagine a vain thing? Those two things go together. Anger and raging against what's going on goes along with our imagination of a vain thing, something that's really not even real, and yet we imagine it. Jonah imagined that that if the uh, Ninevites weren't destroyed, then God's honor would somehow be diminished. He, he, he put that together in his head somehow when it's not even true at all. And he's worrying about something that's not even an issue. We do that. We worry about things that don't matter, things that aren't even a concern, things that God's going to take care of. But we've got it all in our head. that We've got to worry about it. We've got to argue with God about it. We've got to be angry about it. We've got to be overwrought. And Jonah did argue with God about it, praying this awkward prayer and trying to justify himself from fleeing from the presence of the Lord to begin with. So he went down into the fish and he prayed this wonderful prayer of, 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 of uh, yielding to the Lord and of obedience to God and, and, and re-pledging uh, himself, committing to serving the Lord and all of that is in that prayer in chapter 2. But now he's trying to justify himself for running away from God to begin with. And he dreaded the very thing he was sent to communicate, that God had a message for Nineveh, and Nineveh could be delivered if it would repent. He wanted to see instead the promised judgment of God descend upon those people. It reminds me of Luke chapter 9, uh, where we read 
about the people who did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And so because he had his face turned toward Jerusalem and he was going that way, the people around him in that area who he's passing through, they didn't want anything to do with him because they could see he was, he was focused on something else at the moment. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, now they saw that the Lord was, had a focus on what he was doing, going to Jerusalem, and he saw these people who, around who didn't care about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they had a solution for that. They saw it in verse uh, chapter 9 of Luke. It says, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? We have a Bible precedent for this. Elijah called down fire on the, on the sacrifice. But, but, it's, but we read in Luke 9 that the Lord turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So this is the same thing that's happening with Jonah. He wants the fire. He wants the fire to come down on these people. And the Lord didn't send it. Instead, these people repented and God turned away from the anger that he had toward them. And he did not do the evil that he said he would do to them. You know, we can allow our personal view of things to turn into what the Bible calls a root of bitterness. We we'll read about that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, where it says that we need to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is called a root because it takes root. And just like a plant that has strong roots, it's hard to get rid of. We can let a grudge or a bitterness envelop our, our heart to the point that the Lord can't use us for anything. We become like Jonah here, just being bitter about what the Lord's doing or what he hasn't done or what, what we see he should do. That's a, that's a root of bitterness, and it's hard to get rid of. Jonah continued to, to argue with the Lord about it and desire that, well, if, it, if you're not going to do the way I think you should do, Lord, then you just take me on out of this world. Take me on out of this world. But Jonah was in the midst of his usefulness and didn't know it. The Lord had used him to bring a message that helped thousands of people to get a better relationship with the Lord and to avoid destruction. As he should have been, he should have seen, the Lord's using me. The Lord is accomplishing something here. Something good is being done here. And therefore, I need to keep on living and serving the Lord. But instead, he's talking about the Lord killing him. It's better for me to die than to live. That's the attitude of a fool. And yet, it's often our attitude. Jonah is now so much out of fellowship with the Lord, it would not be a good time for him to die anyway. To go into the presence of the Lord with this kind of heart attitude, we don't want that. We want to go into the presence of the Lord with a trust in Him, a rest in Him, and be able to see His face with joy. Um, I don't think if the Lord did take Jonah's life right here, it would be to see His face with much joy. But Jonah's trying to... Trying to say that it's better for me to die if life doesn't go the way I want it to go. And I know we have all said that from time to time. Lord, I wish you'd just take me out of this world. It's too much. It's just too much. But it's not too much for God. It's not too much for God. It's too much for us, but it's not too much for him. And we've got to put our faith and trust in what the Lord can do, not in what we can do. And that's, that's what Jonah needed to do. Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. 
That was not the will of God. But notice the gracious answer of the Lord in verse 4. This is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. The Lord does not say in verse 4, all right, Jonah, you're dead. You're out of there. Let's go. He didn't do that. And he doesn't even scold him beyond a very mild question. But it's a pointed question, and it's a question that goes right to the heart of Jonah's problem. The Lord said, doest thou well to be angry? Is this a good thing? Is this a good thing, Jonah, that you see in yourself? Is it a good thing? The Lord might have justly rejected Jonah for his foolish anger, but the Lord gently reproves him. Pastor Garrison's been preaching in Galatians, and in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, we read this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, these are the people who have the Spirit of God leading them, this is what you need to do when somebody's overtaken in a fault. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness or humility, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's how you reach someone who's who is headed the wrong direction. It has to be with a spirit of humility, considering yourself, because we can fall into the same kind of problem that anybody else is in. That attitude will win people and will help people to get on, on the right track for God. But the anger, this anger and this frustration and this stomping around and this, this attitude of Jonah that we often have is not going to help anyone. Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. What is our response to others who are going through difficult things? What is our response to, our, to the Lord when we're going through difficult things? The, the Lord says, doest thou well? Doest thou well? And that question just grabs our heart. Doest thou well? We need to think about that. Am I doing well to be angry? Whatever it is that's made me upset, it's made me angry. Am I doing well to be angry? Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. It's right in the, in the book. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Fools. You need, we need to check ourselves on this. It's so easy to be angry. It's so easy to be overcharged with the problems that we're facing and to, to, to what the Lord's doing or not doing and, and the way everything's happening and we just want to die. and We need to check that spirit. We need to check that spirit of anger because it rests in the bosom of a fool. The Lord is in charge and he knows what he's doing and there's no need for us to be overwrought. Am I doing well to be angry at the mercy of God? toward repenting sinners. That's what Jonah was doing. Luke's 15, 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Just one. Joy in heaven over just one. And here were thousands of people who repented. And is Jonah happy about that? No, he's angry. He's angry. What a foolish, what a foolish thing. And yet we can see ourselves in this. We can see ourselves here. Jonah's personal discontent expands. We read it in verse 5, so the Lord asked him, doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah, so Jonah says, oh no, Lord, you're right. I shouldn't be angry. I know that you're doing what's right for these people. <laughs> he doesn't do that. It gets worse. And this happens to us. Whenever we get out of sorts with other people or out, are angry with what God is doing, it just expands. It just gets bigger and bigger. Jonah went out of the city 
and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat in it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So maybe he told the people in, in, the, uh, in the city of Nineveh, look, I'm, I'm getting out of here because I know that judgment is coming. I don't know what he told them as he left. But I can imagine that if the people of Nineveh repented genuinely like they appear to have done in the scripture here, then they would have appreciated Jonah and said, you came and told us just in time. Thank you for bringing that message. Why don't you come and, and we'll, we'll give you a house here. We'll give you food. We'll take care of you. We'll entertain you here. And you could stay with us for a while. You brought this, this message to us. I don't know if they offered that kind of hospitality or not, but I can imagine it if they were repentant. Uh, but Jonah didn't want that. He didn't want that. He's getting away from there. He didn't want anything to do with those people. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made him a booth. He made him a booth. He wasn't going to let the Lord provide for him. He's going to make his own little booth. So he gets some branches and makes some kind of little makeshift booth, and he gets under there to wait and see what will become of the city. And so he's still hoping that the Lord will, will destroy the place. But God has a plan. He had prepared three things for Jonah. Verse 6 says he prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. The Lord made, a, made the, the little booth that Jonah had constructed much better by a plant that came up quickly and covered it with its leaves so it kept the heat off of Jonah. Right there, his, his disobedient prophet who, who was so angry and so upset with what God was doing, the Lord did something nice for him and made a, a comfort for him, made a, made a gourd come up over him and give him some comfort. Isn't that just like the Lord? Isn't that just like the Lord? When we are all bent out of shape, the Lord still does nice things for us, comf comfortable things that make our life just a little bit easier and make it a little easier for us to, to sit and think a little bit. And that's what the Lord did for Jonah. And, and the Bible says Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Our personal comfort is always up high on our list of, of things that are important to us. And Jonah was glad of the gourd because it made his life a little easier. And he was excited about it. But God also prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smoked the gourd that it withered. So the Lord allowed the worm to destroy the gourd. And the gourd faded away and the leaves fell off and he was back to his little booth that he had made without that personal comfort. And then the Lord prepared a vehement east wind in verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. What, what was Jonah doing? Well, he was so enamored of that personal comfort, that little bit of personal comfort, that when it was taken away, he thought his life was over. And our, you know, our creature comforts are to be enjoyed. The Lord gives us those things, but not to the extent that they become the entire focus of our life. Um, Psalm 43 in verse 4 says, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. God, my exceeding joy. We're to take our pleasure in the Lord. Personal comforts, creature comforts, they're nice. And we're to enjoy those, but they are not on the level of our joy in the Lord. Because creature comforts come and go. Circumstances change. One day's different than another. 
And if we're expecting everything to go smoothly for us personally, then we're mistaken. The Lord brings things and he takes things away. But the Lord is always good. He's always good. And once our focus is on that, then the, the, the little things of life can come and go. And they don't get us so worked up when we're trusting in the Lord and we're finding our joy in him. He never fails. He never fails. A sudden, the sudden loss of the Lord's provision makes Jonah uh, angry again. And he goes further down his, this pathway of thinking. He fainted and wished in himself to die. He thought his life was bound up in his own personal comfort there. You know, if you're determined to complain and be a complainer, you'll find there's always something to complain about. Have you noticed that? That if you want to be a complainer, there's always something to complain about. But what does the Lord say to Jonah in verse 9? He says, again, doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And Jonah said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. He still doesn't have the message. He's angry over a fleet. The rebuke of the Lord is pointing Jonah toward this gourd and how it came and went so quickly. And Jonah's so upset about it. And the Lord's saying, are you doing well to be angry like this? Over a fleeting thing, a fleeting thing that's now taken away. Though the gourd, the gourd may be gone, Jonah, I'm not gone. God is not gone. The little thing that I took comfort in that disappeared so quickly. But the Lord's not gone. He's still good. He's still in charge. He still knows what he's doing. Jonah is just as much, uh, just as much saying to the Lord, I, I didn't do any sin. I do well to be angry. There's nothing wrong with my anger. It's just who I am. And I have a, I have a, I have a right to be angry, and I am angry. And then he says, even unto death. That's how serious it is. But sin, which is what's going on here, Jonah's sinning, and he's talking about death. Those are serious matters. Sin and death are serious but the angry person doesn't understand the seriousness of either one. He's only concerned about his own personal comfort here. But the Lord uses this little plant as a corrective lesson for this man, Jonah. <coughs> the Lord, if we compare the things, we can see it. The gourd was just one little plant, one little plant. But the city of Nineveh was huge, huge. Jonah cared about that one little plant, but the Lord cared about that big city. There are 120,000 children, we read, in this area of Nineveh. He says in verse 11, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. 120,000 children means a population probably of more than 600,000 in that area. The Lord cares about those people. The gourd was not the work of Jonah. He didn't even make the gourd. The Lord did. But the souls that were in Nineveh were the works of God's own hands. He made every one of those people, created them in his image, and they were in, that were in that city. They were the works of his own hands. Shouldn't he care about those? And, and the Lord's saying to Jonah through this message of the gourd, the gourd was, was, came up suddenly and just had a temporary, was a temporary thing. But all those people in Nineveh 
were many years under the Lord's watchful eye. He had had a passionate desire toward those folks for many, many years, not just one night or one day as this gourd came up over Jonah. And this gourd perished in the night, but the people of Nineveh would live somewhere forever. So compare and contrast these things. The gourd was a little thing, but Jonah was all about that little thing. What, what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from it? The Lord will allow his people sometimes to fall into this kind of a bad attitude, a sinful attitude. The Lord will let us get into that state of mind, but he won't allow us to lie down comfortably and live there. Just like he worked with Jonah, brought that fish, and now he brought this uh, worm and this behemoth east wind, all of these things he's bringing into Jonah's life to get his attention the way the gracious and loving God will always do for his children. The Lord will chastise us. He he won't let us lie down and be comfortable in this angry attitude. And the Lord will justify himself in all the methods that he undertakes. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Why does the book of Jonah end so abruptly? I know you've read it before, many of you have. And you get to the end of it, and it seems like there should be some more to the story. When did Jonah, did, what happened to Jonah? Did he get his attitude right? Did he ever learn anything from this? What did he do after this? But the Bible stops right there. It stops right there because the, the The importance of this story is not Jonah. The importance of this story is the Lord and what the Lord could do, not only for Jonah, but for all these people in the city of Nineveh. What the message of the Lord could do in reaching people that he passionately cares about, even though they were not part of Israel, they were not not a a good people who had a very civilized society, they were very wicked and very cruel But the Lord cared about them, and that's what the message of the book of Jonah is about. There are people all around us that the Lord cares about. Is he going to work on us? Yes, he is, just like he did with Jonah. But he's working on us so that we can be a witness to those people that he's called us to minister to. Are they going to be great people who will, you know, give us a handshake and say, I believe what you're saying, and I'm ready to go with the Lord? Most of the time, they're not. They're people who are fighting against God. And some of them, one or two here and there, get saved. And what a glorious thing it is. But most of the people we have to deal with every day are going the wrong direction. They're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Or they're Christians like Jonah who are out of fellowship with God. And they're complainers and angry about this and about that and the other thing. We've got to minister to them. That's what the Lord is doing for these people and what he's doing for Jonah. That's what the book of Jonah is all about. And that's why the Spirit of God stopped the author of the book at verse 11 of chapter 4 because we're to reflect on what's going on here. 
and apply it to ourselves. We're not just trying to see what's wrong with Jonah. We're trying to see what God's trying to do with me and what he's trying to do with you. And that's what this little book is all about. I believe Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. I believe he recorded this, and, and, and that's how I know he got his heart right because he never would have written what's in this book, in this little book, if he didn't confess it before the Lord and, and repent of it and change because he would have recorded it completely differently if he still had a bad attitude. But I believe Jonah wrote this little record, and, and it's a testimony to how the Lord worked in his life to change his thinking. Can the Lord change your thinking? Can the Lord change my thinking? Brother, there's nothing wrong with my thinking. All my thinking's right, right with the Word of God, and I, and I know everything that I do and say is, is just so, and I'm just angry with everything else that's going on around me. All these things that are happening, they're just not according to my view of how it ought to be. We need to check that, don't we? We need to check that and come before the Lord and confess it and say, Lord, you know what you're doing, and I need you to show me how I can be right with you and how I can have the joy of the Lord in my life and in my words and in my testimony so that people can see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this little book of Jonah how it has given us uh, an adventure for sure. And as we've gone along with Jonah through the, the, the ship and the fish and, and to the city and, 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 and then into the booth out on the side of the hill, Lord, we, we can see ourselves. We pray you'll help us to see things the way you do. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And Lord, we are so often worked up in our spirit and in our in our hearts, in our minds, and in our words, because we don't see it going the way we think it ought to go. Help us, Lord, to see that that's not our job. We need to trust you, and we do trust you. And we pray, Lord, you'll help us to grow in our appreciation of what you're trying to do in our family, in our own hearts, in our church here, and in this community, that we might reach out with a loving heart, a kind heart, and minister to those around us the way you intend. Give us grace to do it. We ask it in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake, amen.